Edna and Noel, it's also good to have you guys back. Been down there in Juneau. Being used of God in politics and government. Thank you, Jesus. Acts 17. Acts 17, go down to verse verse 16. And let's read the word of the Lord. Continuing in a series called Releasing the Power of the Kingdom of God. Acts 17, verse 16. If you're all there, say amen. amen. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that this city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting at the Aerogopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is. That you're presenting. Go now to verse 32. Last few verses of chapter 17. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Aragopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, this moment that we have to be able to break open the word of life, the word of truth. Your heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain. Your word will endure forever. So, God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Would you just ask God to speak to you this morning? Speak to our hearts, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to say this when they say God is a speaking God. Indeed, he is a speaking God. It says in in the book of Hebrews, chapter one, in the past, God has spoken to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. God is such a speaking God, in fact, that he's actually called to us. To speak for him or to be an ambassador. Fill in your notes as we move along. And if you, if you don't have notes, just go ahead and slip your hand up. One of our ushers will help you with that. All right. Do we have, we've got ushers helping us? All right. Super duper. We're all called to be Christ's ambassadors to speak on his behalf. You and I, both of us, all of us are called to be his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Wow. I want to talk to you this morning about evangelism. Expanding God's kingdom, releasing the power of God through evangelism. Releasing the power of the kingdom of God through evangelism. Evangelism is the commitment to share the good news of Jesus, of what Jesus did. With others. The word evangelism comes from the Greek word 
euangelium. I think I'm, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. But from that word, we get good news. From that word, we get gospel. Gospel. And evangelism, and could tell you many stories about how when we share about Jesus and what he did on the cross and he died for our sins and he rose again from the grave, that when that truth is shared, the power of God is released. Evangelism releases the power of God. If you, if you can, turn to Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Literally, when the gospel is preached or declared, power is released. I remember being a part of, uh, I've been a part of many campaigns to reach the lost, and I'm a part of one right now. It's just part of our lifestyle. That's what we do. We, we, we share about the good news of Jesus. And it was a part of a, uh, an outreach where we took people every day on an island of about 90,000, 100,000 people with approximately simple prayer. One of those times, uh, one of our pastors, Nathan Hanohano, Hawaiian man who pastored our church in Northern California for a time, went into a nursing home and at the nursing home was asked to, if he could just go door to door and talk to the different people and, and share this gospel script. And so they said, okay. And he went to go into one of the rooms and the nurse said, well, you don't want to go in there. He says, no, I, I, I do. She goes, okay. So Nathan went into that room. A lady curled up in the fetal position, very elderly. He read the script to her, asked her some simple questions, and she responded by nodding. And then she prayed a very simple prayer of receiving Christ into her heart. He prayed for her and prayed for her healing, and he left. As he walked out, the nurse said, well, how did it go? He said, it was great. She says, it was? Oh, yeah, it was great. What do you mean it was great? She's deaf. He says, well, she's not deaf now, or, you know, they were just amazed. And they went in, and she wasn't deaf. She heard. She heard everything, gave her heart to Jesus, and died three days later. When, when the good news of Christ is shared, it releases the power of the kingdom. Come on, somebody say, wow. Now, to bring that, that story full circle, I'm trying to remember the name. I think it's uh, Mrs. Hasagawa. I've shared this story before. Mrs. Hasagawa ran the Hasagawa store in Hana, Hawaii, for like ever since the creation of time. That store's been there. When I first gave my heart to Jesus, my mother was living in Hana, and I would drive out to Hana and spend the weekend there and go to church and go on these runs. That's where I first preached. I got this scripture, preached the gospel to all of creation. So I would run up, and I was afraid to talk to people, for real. And I would run up and preach to the cows. There were cows, and I would, I would practice preaching to them. And I'm, I'm kid you, I'm kid you not, I think one of them raised a hoof. Like, it got saved. I think one of those cows received the Lord. That's not biblical, I don't think. But anyway, I would preach in Hasegawa store 
I would, I would stop. I was, I was wild-eyed, crazy saved. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I didn't have any wisdom. I didn't do lifestyle evangelism. I'd pull cars over. I stopped people on bikes. You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to just a wild, a wild, saved. God did, stuff, God did things in me that I just had to tell the whole world. And I didn't care what anybody felt, thought about it. And so I would go into the Hasegawa store and tell them about Jesus. And they would just basically look at me stone face. I didn't get to get thrown out because I would leave. Years later, it was that same lady on the bed that Nathan went in and shared the gospel. She got saved and died three days later. Guess where she went? That's right. Evangelism releases the power of the kingdom of God. It releases the power of the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Literally, when somebody receives Jesus, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about receiving what Jesus has done. Not a bunch of rules and regulations that you have to follow. The simple finished work of Jesus on the cross is enough. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. You become a new creation. Literally releases the power of God to make you new. All right, let's look at our text. Brings me to the text because we see a tremendous example of the power of God being released through evangelism, through sharing the good news in the life of Paul. Where Paul had been, you need to read the whole first part of Acts 17 to get the context of what's taking place. He's on his second missionary journey. He's with Silas. He picks up Timothy. And he goes to Troas. He gets a vision of the Macedonian man, of where they're supposed to go. And he comes across a girl who has what is called a spirit of python, a python spirit. She tells the future and makes money for their masters. And she followed Paul and Silas. And after many days, Paul being greatly annoyed. I love that text. Has anybody ever been greatly annoyed? You know, being greatly annoyed can sometimes, although mostly it's our flesh, can sometimes be an indication that there's something wrong. Paul, being greatly annoyed, turned around and spoke to the devil, broke the demon spirit off of this girl, and she got free. Woo! Crazy! And guess what happened? Python Incorporated was shut down. They're pastors. They're, 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 pastors. they're, they're slaves. She was a slave. Their masters weren't too excited about the girl getting free. They cared more about money than they did about somebody getting delivered. And I'm going to tell you, that is the case in many places where people care more about their money, care more about their finances than they do about getting somebody delivered or healed. So this girl staying in bondage was their means of making money. Now she got free and the Python Incorporated got closed. And it was at that that a riot breaks out, basically, and they go in jail, and a jailbreak takes place. Come on, some of you know that. At the midnight hour, Paul and Silas began to sing psalms and songs, and prisoners were looking on, and there was a, there was a jailbreak. The first jailhouse rock right there. There was an earthquake. The place shook. Their chains fell off. The jailer and his whole household got saved. You remember this? This is in the book of Acts. 
goes to Thessalonica and there's a riot that breaks out there because he preached the gospel. They, he gets smuggled out of town. He goes to Berea and there's another riot that breaks out. He gets smuggled out of town and Silas and Timothy stay there to help the church, but they send Paul to Athens. They send him on a vacation to Athens. I mean, really, that was, if you look at it, that's kind of what's happening. He's just been beat up. He's preached the gospel. Paul, just go to Athens. We'll, we'll take care of the church here for a little bit. And he goes to Athens and he's there and he gets, look at verse 16 of Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for them. In other words, he's in Athens, chilling out, having some hummus, eating some olives maybe. I don't, I don't know what kind of, you know, vacation he would have, but while he was there, look at verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed, greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Fill your notes. He was greatly distressed. Why was he distressed? Why would Paul be distressed? Well, Paul knew some truths that I think we don't hear about too often. Paul was distressed, number one, because not everybody goes to heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Not everybody just gets to go to heaven just because they hope so. Or because they're good. Because you can't be good enough. Paul understood that. He understood that, that even though they were religious people, and if you read the whole text, they were religious. They had idols. Look, just because you go to church, can I preach in my own church? Is that okay? Just because you go to church... I'm telling you now, you could have baptismal waters dripping off your face, honey, friend, brother, Jethro, Bubba. You could have baptismal waters dripping off your face and still split hell wide open. has nothing to do with whether you attended some church. It has everything to do with whether you've repented. Whether you've asked God to forgive you for the things that you've done wrong and you've accepted His payment for your sin, which is His Son, his son Jesus. Sometimes in church we make it so difficult to, for people to receive the Lord. And you can't just give them half your heart. Come on, he's either the Lord of all or he ain't the Lord. You've heard that before. Look, Paul, look at, look at your notes. Paul knew that people had broken the first two commandments. Have no other gods before me and make no graven image. The breaking of God's law basically brings death. Has anybody ever lied in this place before? You're going to lie again? Come on, you... Ah! Did you lie before? Has anybody ever lied? Yes, everybody's lied before. Has anybody ever stolen? Has anybody ever taken the Lord's name in vain? In here. All four of you. Remember, liars go to hell. Has anybody ever taken, come on, the Lord's name in vain? Has anybody, watch it now, watch this. Has anybody ever lusted over another human being? Is that the same four people? What's going on around here? (laughs) Jesus said that if you lust after a woman, or a man for that matter, then you've already committed adultery. See, the Apostle Paul understood very clearly that the breaking of the Ten Commandments brings death. The word in the Greek is thanatos. It means separation from God. It does not mean annihilation that you'll be taught in some cults. Just if you don't have Christ, you've not repented of your sin, you don't have Jesus in your heart, then your sins remain. And when you die, if you die in that state, listen to me, if you die in that state, you don't just disappear into oblivion. 
You go to a place that the scriptures call hell. That's what it's called. Now, I don't preach on hell too often, but I'm thinking of having a series on it. You know, because we just don't really take it seriously. If we really wholeheartedly believe that people were headed to a devil's hell, then there's no way we wouldn't share what God's done for us. And Paul knew that there was a, there was a hell, that hell was real. Jesus spoke about hell. I heard one pastor say that he spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Truth is, I haven't actually studied to know that that's true or not. But Jesus definitely spoke about hell. Jesus is my favorite preacher. Somebody asked me who your favorite preacher is. Absolutely the Lord. He can bring it. He, he would show up and say things like to the Pharisees, you go over land and sea to make a proselyte. And you bring them back and make them twice the son of hell that you are. That's some good preaching right there. Oh, you think I get a little rough. Go read the the Gospels, man. Wow. You whitewashed tomb filled with dead men's bones. Wow. He said it. Well, we don't want to offend anybody. Can I tell you something? Some of you need to be offended. What do you mean by that? You need your sin offended. You keep living life the way that you are and think that it's just going to be all good. It ain't going to be all good. Come on, smile at me. Paul knew it. Hey, Paul knew that there was a hell. Paul knew that they were in trouble. Not, not everybody goes to heaven. There is one way, one truth, one life. Prove it. We can do that. It's not a part of this message. We've done it at other times. We'll do it again, I'm sure. Stick around. 2 Corinthians 5.11. Turn there. Turn, turn there. I mean, the, 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 the thinking of the Apostle Paul is, is very different than, than, than many people in the church today. He says things like this, 2 Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore, this is the New King James, the terror of the Lord. The what? The terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul understood the terror of the Lord. There is a judgment that's coming for all people. Listen. There was messages in in a bygone era like sinners in the hand of an angry God. Jonathan Edwards. He preached that message, sinners in the hand of an angry God. People were holding on to the pews because they felt like the bottom was going to just drop out and they were going to go right to hell right then. Then the pendulum swung to the other side where it's just the love of God, the love of God, the love of God. Absolutely, the love of God. Wonderful. You know where the pendulum needs to be? Right in the middle. Because the love of God, absolutely God is love. But because God is also a God of justice, he must deal with that which is not dealt with. In other words, if your sin is not covered and paid for, then you're going to be judged for that. You say, I don't like that. I don't like that so much either. He said, well, I'm saved, so it's all good. Well, there's another judgment for those of us who are believers. It's called the judgment seat of the believer. And that that is a place that you'll be held accountable for all your words and all your deeds and that which you've done. Not based upon the talent or giftings that God has given somebody else, but based upon your own talent and your own gifting. 
And you'll stand there with nobody else but you and have to give an account. And it says that some will suffer loss. I've been studying the judgment seat of the believer. It's motivating to me. Paul understood that, understood the terror of the Lord for them. So here he is on vacation. I mean, he gets beat up in Berea, gets beat up in Thessalonica. He, 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 they send him on vacation. He's just trying to relax. He's just trying to relax, but he cannot. Because it wasn't a job for him. I mean, you think he'd have checked into the Grand Wailea or something or go to the Hyatt and go down the slide, you know, and just chill. That's, that's what we'd do today. That, that's what evangelists would do today. They'd just say, well, I've just been working so hard. I just need to relax. And there is, a, there, is, there is a vacating. You need to take a day off every week. You need to take a divergence every day, I would say. Every day you need to step away, spend time with God. I really believe in giving him 10% of everything. That means 10% of your day. You should give him 2.5 hours. Tithe your time. You need to do that. You need to come away. You don't come away every day, you get weird. You spend time with God. You need to take a divergence, if you will, every day. You need to take a, a day off every week. And you need, to, you need to take time off every year. Especially if you're in ministry, running a business. You can't just run it into the ground. You'll find those of you who are visionaries and business people. You take time off and you rest and you vacate from all of that. Turn the cell phone off. Put face plant away. Step away from your computer. Minister to your wife and to your kids. Love the Lord, read the Word, and chill. Get away from the media onslaught. There is a huge media onslaught. Get away from that. You will find that all of a sudden you have fresh ideas, you have fresh power, fresh vigor to get the job done. You think Paul had been taking a vacation. He went to go take his vacation and was totally disturbed. Look at three. He knew he had to give an account to God for what he did. 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is the judgment seat, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I mean, if anybody needed the vacation, you'd think it'd be the Apostle Paul. But you see, the Apostle Paul moved by these truths. And if you look at 4, God's love compelled him to do something. Verse 17, watch this now. This really ministered to me. Verse 17 of Acts 17. Therefore... He was disturbed, and it's, the NIV, I think, says so. Or therefore. You all, you all see that? Look at, look at verse 17. Okay, I've got the wrong verse. The wrong verse? No, I've got the right verse. Praise the Lord. Verse 17. Well, Paul was waiting for them. Verse 16. Look at your text with me. Look at, the, look at your scripture. Look at the Bible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. The NIV says, so. The New King James says, therefore. He's greatly distressed, so, or as a result of him being greatly distressed, verse 17 says, therefore he reasoned, or so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the the Gentile worshippers in the marketplace daily. He's distressed, so he does something about it. I'm going to tell you that I know I've counseled in the past, counseled people that are distressed, they're depressed, they've got all kinds of issues, but they refuse to do something. 
He's just, look, when I'm distressed, I don't like being distressed. I, I, I like peace. I mean, the peace of God that passes all understanding. We live with that. The, the peace of God is probably the number one leading thing in my life. If I don't have peace, something's wrong. And when I don't have peace, I'm going to find out what's wrong, and I'm going to take care of it. I, I, I drive keeping my peace. Sometimes it's harder for my wife when I'm driving. In other words, when I'm driving, if I don't feel led to go a particular way, I don't go that way. I'm, I'm, I'm led by the peace of God. You need to be led by the peace of God. Have any of you ever been driving and all of a sudden you can feel, it feels moosey all of a sudden. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Moosey. It's an Alaska thing. You, you're driving and all of a sudden you feel like, oh, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to speed limit 60. You slow down to 40 and you're just kind of praying in the Holy Ghost because it just doesn't quite feel right. More often than not, I've seen just moose just jump out right then. And if I was driving 60, I'd be having a new front end of my car, maybe worse. Right? Paul's greatly distressed. When you're greatly distressed, deal with it. Do something. And if the fact when you're hanging around people that don't know God and they're, they're bitter and they're hurting, they're, they, you know, they, you've got cut marks going up their arms. I have a deal with God. If I ever see cut marks going up somebody's arm, I'm, I've got to do something about it. I was, I was in Louisiana, and I'm going to tell you right now, they have the most break-your-mouth food there. Oh, my goodness. As they say in the South, makes you want to slap your own mama. I mean, we had crawdads and shrimp etouffee and dirty rice and dag. They can really throw down the vittles. Let's close in prayer. Go to lunch. Father, thank you. <laughs> we came out of the last meeting, and, we, and everything was, you know, it's 10 o'clock, and we're tired, and, you know, we're just going to go get some, some health food. So we pulled into McDonald's. We pulled into McDonald's, and as we're pulling in, we're realizing that the main McDonald's inside is closed, but hallelujah for the drive-thru. So we're going to go to the drive-thru, and I see this McDonald's employee come busting out of the front door of McDonald's, and girlfriend is upset. She's mad. And uh, how do I say this? Well, I got, dis- I got disturbed. All I can think is, is all I could, and think I said it out loud, stop the car, stop the car, stop the car. I got to get out. Well, they're not stopping the car. But I was totally serious. And I realized, actually, after it came out of my mouth, what I was saying. I need to get out. And so they, they stopped the car. And I realized, I'm, as I'm opening the door, oh, I, I'm going to witness, I guess. I was disturbed. I had to talk to the girl. I, I had to talk to her. My wife's in the car. A bunch of other preachers, pastors in the car. I got out of the car. I went up to her. And, you know, in the natural, she could have whooped my butt. Can I tell you something? The girlfriend, I'm... Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I mean, I just, I must have been filled with the Holy Ghost because I'd otherwise been scared. Can I say that? Some of you think you're all tough. You hadn't seen tough. I've seen tough. And I know for sure she could have taken me if she got upset. Anyway, she's mad. You could tell she's mad. She'd been cursing at somebody through the door. And she's standing there, she lights a cigarette or trying to light a cigarette. I don't really even know what happened. I just know that I got so disturbed that I couldn't stay disturbed any longer. And as I'm, as I'm approaching her, I'm thinking, great, Romans Road, what? What are we doing, God? As I'm coming, and here it comes, pastor boy with a suit on, right? 
I'm, I'm kind of like in a southern hood a little bit. And as I approached her, she's just all. And then the words just came out of my mouth. I began to tell her about the love of God, began to tell her about Jesus. And I could see the whole atmosphere shifted. I started feeling the presence of God. I didn't feel the presence of God really before that, but when I started sharing, I was disturbed. I did something about it. I started talking about Jesus, and, and, and I told her, look, God told me to get out of the car because I realized at that point the Lord had moved me out of the car to be all up in the sister's face to help her. Lord, Lord started speaking to me about her brother. It's called, it's a word of knowledge, had a word of knowledge about her brother and some of the situation of what she was going through. She broke in half. Broken half, started crying, trying to hold her together, tears running down her face, weeping in front of McDonald's. These guys drove off to go through the, the drive through I was hoping they were going to get my order right. <laughs> Found out that she received the Lord when she was a young girl and she wasn't walking with him now. And I prayed for her and God touched her and. Told her to get back in church. I knew that she wasn't going to church. Paul was disturbed, so he did something. When's the last time you were disturbed when you were around somebody that was lost as a goose in a hailstorm? When's the last time you were disturbed when you saw somebody covered in depression? You see, we insulate ourselves. We're so isolated and myopic in our view. Sometimes we just so think about our own stuff. Our own life. Whether our bills are paid. I'm going to tell you something. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is absolutely about others. The founder of the Salvation Army, when he was dying, sent a telegram with one word to all of his leaders worldwide, sent a telegram. It was one word. The one word was others. That's all he said. Others. About other people. You can release the power of the kingdom of God through evangelism, through sharing what Jesus has done for you. He said, well, I, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Well, that's probably your flesh. Somebody said, I don't feel led. I think you need to get the lead out. <laughs> How can we not feel led about people that are headed to a devil's hell? When we've been, and, and <laughs> Jesus help us, right? I don't feel led. Give me a break. Come over here so I can give you a swift kick. Amen. <laughs> he was distressed. He did something about it. He had to give an account. God's love compelled him to do something. He was distressed, so therefore he reasoned with them. If you're distressed about something, do it. Do something about it. If you're depressed, do something. We have a tendency to do nothing. Take action. You want to change your life? Don't give me the victim mentality. There should be no victims in the kingdom of God. All right. So you were, you were a victim. Things happened to you. But now you're here. Stand up, grab yourselves by your bootstraps, call on God, get the word of the Lord, get some counseling, get some healing, get delivered, get on with it, move forward, get healed, get whole, share the good news of Jesus. I went and preached at an inner city church, and they practically drove me nuts. Because it wasn't just a bunch of, you know, beautiful people. Of course, everybody's beautiful, but I mean, it's inner city church. We're talking in the middle of Crack House, USA. They had, the, the church had bought... It was an outreach of, of um, uh, Pastor Gary Brothers, who will be with us in the summer. It's an outreach of his church. They bought a, a, a middle school, a public school. They bought it. 
and they made it a place, a feeding center, and a, and a center for revival in the middle of this, in the middle of the hood. I mean, drug deals are going down while we're driving in right next to the building. Right next to the building. I'm thinking, dag, I'm well, they're wearing clothes. God, I went inside and it had people in there that were so desperate for God. There is a broken world out there. And we can release the power of God through evangelism. Don't raise your hand because I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. But let me ask you this question. When is the last time you led somebody to Jesus? He said, well, it's been quite a while. Has it? Well, shame on you. Can I say that? We're supposed to reach out to the lost. And angels can't preach the good news. We are his method. You are the only Jesus some people will ever see. I'm not trying to get condemnation on you, but there needs to come a message every so often that just moves us forward into what God has. You know, one of the things that Mickey Robinson said to us when he was here was he said in my office, he said, Pastor, I'm telling you now, the power of God is in your church. Strong. He said, I'm I'm surprised it's not larger. I said, yeah, me too. And I know it's not about numbers, but then again it is. One pastor at the conference said he was all disturbed that his church was only 100 people. It's a story talking to Spurgeon. Everybody heard of great theologian and pastor? He says, my church is only 100 people. How can I make my church bigger? And Spurgeon said this to him. I think 100 people ought to be good enough to give an account before the judgment seat of Christ. Four. <laughs> That'll put it in perspective. We've got to share. We've got to. Nikki Robinson said, man, you've got to tell your people to invite people. And I know many of you do. But sometimes we get so overwhelmed with our own circumstances and don't realize that one great weapon that God has given you to release the power of the kingdom of God, a weapon that God has given you, is sharing the gospel. Testifying about what Jesus has done. What has he done for you? All right, what, what, are we, what are we supposed to do? Well, got to share the gospel. Gotta, he reasoned in the synagogue and the marketplace. That means he argued with people. He to tear down strongholds. Some of you have a gift to argue. You just need to use it for the gospel. Don't raise your hand. You know you've got the argumentative anointing. He shared the gospel daily. What did he do? He shared it daily. Right there, verse 17 again. He reasoned in the synagogue and the marketplace. He shared the gospel daily. I challenge you. Share the gospel daily. Do something radical. So that's just you, Pastor. No, it isn't. I, I, I mean, I, I've just been winning souls way before I knew I was going to be a pastor. It has nothing to do with being a pastor. It has everything to do with being a believer. And I know some of you have a, there is a gift of the evangelist. Absolutely. That operates in my life. I'm aware of that. But you can do something. You can do your part to, to, to touch people with the truth of the gospel. He shared the gospel daily. It was a lifestyle. Have a lifestyle of sharing the gospel. I think one of the number one ways to share the gospel is live it. Augustine said share the gospel at all times, even if you have to use words. It was a consistent thing in his life. Daily, he shared the gospel. On his vacation in Athens, he couldn't help himself. 
And look at verse 34. Verse 34, he raised up disciples. However, some men joined him and believed among them, and they named them. He raised up disciples. So it's not just sharing the gospel, it's raising up disciples. All right, what, what, what must we do? Well, the first thing is build a, build a bridge with people. You're going to share the good news with Jesus, of Jesus to people. Build a bridge. Cultivate relationships. Cultivate relationships. And an interesting thing happened. You know, God can elevate you in one moment of time. I was asked, thanks to Edna, they invited me to, to open in prayer for the inaugural celebration of our governor. It was a, it was a, a women's Republican club here in the valley. And they had an inaugural celebration where they invited the governor and the lieutenant governor to just celebrate his inauguration. And um, I don't think I was the first pick. I think, I don't know, some other bigger, bigger dudes in the kingdom of God were not able to make it. So I think maybe I was the third draft. I don't know. I don't care. You know, just, you know there's people that are really being used of God, and they're, they're over different organizations, and there's larger churches and greater influence. But I don't know how I ended up doing that. I was asked to do it. I said, Yes. And it's not like I want to try to get my name on some plaque so that I could say that I did the governor's inauguration, which was an inaugural celebration, right? That's what it was. So I prayed this simple prayer, but somehow it touched the, it touched the governor, and it touched the lieutenant governor. And, and before I did that, that's the first time I've ever done something like that. I've prayed over all kinds of things. I've prayed over luau's, funerals, baby dedications, dinners. I pray over my supper every night. Pray over my kids, but I've never had the opportunity to pray at, a, at an event like that. And it was a great opportunity because every time you get an opportunity to get influence for the kingdom, take it. It's usually God. It's not always God. Usually it is. So before I prayed that 15-second prayer, I thought, I'm going to get some advice from some people that have done this for presidents and stuff. So I, I, I called and talked to Larry Stockstill. I called and talked to Dr. James Morocco, and I just said, well, can you, should I stand up and lift my hands and pray in tongues loudly? How should I do this? I had a sense that I probably shouldn't do that. Anyway, although I'm absolutely not ashamed of, of the Holy Ghost at all. So they gave me some counsel, and I, I went and, and did our thing, and it was great. What happened at that moment was that Larry Stockstill, who's over thousands and thousands of churches, told his national and international crew, you know, Wasilla got put on the map. Do you, do you understand that everybody knows about Wasilla? Because it, so at that, at that moment they said, you know, I've got one of these pastors that I'm in relationship up, up in Wasilla, and he's only been there for four years. God used him to pray over the governor's inauguration. I'm thinking, inaugural celebration, man. It's just not exactly the inauguration. We couldn't seem to change their mind. As much as I said inaugural celebration, it was the inauguration like I was there with 100,000 people in Juneau or something. But I'll tell you what that did. It, allowed, it, 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 it brought a favor with all of these pastors from all over the nation. People wanting our card, wanting to know what's happening, what's happening in Wasilla. It brought an influence. Why? For the gospel. Not for any other reason. You've got to build relationships. I thank God that you guys come to our church and God use it. Then I was, you know, they asked me to pray last night and I got humbled. It was great, you know. <laughs> I went to pray and I had been fasting during the day and 
I think I sounded like I rapped or something for a second. My wife. No, really, I was, it was great to get humbled. It's good. You should just welcome it. It's great to keep you low. I was praying, and I said, I wasn't tongues. I was just stumbling. That's all, folks. Build relationships. Look, the woman who, who, who needed a miracle, and the prophet said, go get vessels from your neighbors. If she was a jerk, she couldn't get nothing from her neighbor. Look, God will give you relationships. You need to cultivate them. You need to build them. Why? For the sake of the kingdom. It's important. Say, well, I don't like people. Well, you probably need to be healed. And if you don't like people in your ministry, you do something else. Everybody say build a bridge with people. Cultivate relationships. Cultivate. It's called relational wealth. Now, let me just tell you, this is for somebody out there. If you don't have any friends and everybody cuts you off and doesn't want to be your friend, it's not them. I'm going to go encourage myself right now. Hallelujah, Lord. I'm trying to tell them, Jesus. If, if you just, well, people just don't want to spend time. It's because you're probably a jerk. You, you, you know, you, hello. You need to be healed. Well, let's move on to the next point. There's great power in praying specifically for individuals. Recently, we had the opportunity to pray for somebody who had stepped away from the Lord and went into a situation that wasn't too good. We prayed all in agreement, did some fasting. Within one week's time, a breakthrough came. Don't underestimate the moment of prayer. Don't underestimate brief moments in services like this where we lift up our family members. One preacher said that prayer is the slender muscle that moves the hand of omnipotence. His right hand spans the universe, and when you pray in the name of Jesus according to his will, it will be done. You pray, in, you pray anything according to his two of you agree touching anything in the earth, it shall be done. It will be done. So don't underestimate the power of praying for people. Be prepared to share. Now, I want you to write these down, and I'm, I'm almost done this morning. It's very simple. I first got saved... Now, uh, we have those scripts. All right. If you could, ushers, would you help me with those scripts right now? The Romans wrote. Everybody say Romans wrote. Write this down. Romans 3.23. Probably should have put it in the notes, but I didn't. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23. Romans 5.8. And Romans 10.9. That is very simply called, what they've called, the Romans road. It's the gospel. Now, our, our ushers are going to pass out these, these scripts. You can use that too. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody's messed up. Everybody's lied. Everybody's stolen. Everybody's done things that were wrong. We've all broken the Ten Commandments at some point. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You continue to do wrong, and you'll end up dead. And it doesn't mean just dead in a casket dead, it means thanatos, totally separation from God in a place called hell, outer darkness. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the gospel. He loves you. He made a way for you. Romans 10, 9. 
If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the gospel. It's called the Romans Road. You should memorize it. Put it on a note card. There's a soul winning script. Can I have one of those, brother? We have this script put together here. Very simple. Now, we have, I have led 13 people to Christ using this script and nothing else. I didn't use one other thing. I just read it. Come on, look at it with me. Has anyone ever told you that God loves you and that he has a wonderful plan for your life? Question mark. You look at them. They say yes. They say no. Whatever. I'm a Catholic. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an atheist. I'm a pagan. I'm a witch. Whatever they say. It doesn't matter what they say. But whatever they say, they say blah. They say whatever they say. Just move to the next one. Just keep reading. Everybody say keep reading. I have a real quick but important question to ask you. Does everybody have one of these? I have a real quick but important question to ask you. If you were to die this very second, do you know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'd go to heaven? Question mark. Look at them. I told you I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I'm a Catholic, bro. Okay. No matter what they say, keep reading. Everybody say keep reading. All right. And be sweet. Are you going to have people walk away from you? Yeah. Are you going to have people that listen? Oh, yeah. It says, if yes... Then you say, so in other words, they say, yes, I know I'm going to heaven. Yes, great. Why would you say yes? Look at the, in parentheses, if they respond to any other thing, I have Jesus in my heart, or say something similar to that, proceed with the script. If they say no, proceed with the script. Are you going to heaven? Yes, I believe in Jesus. He died for my sins. Awesome. Then what you do is you give them the script and say, hey, man, here's a good way of telling people about the love of God. Share your faith. God bless you. I'm afraid for you. Lord bless them. Hey, woo. Okay, but let's say they say no. Let me quickly share with you what the Holy Bible reads. It reads, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And for the wages of sin is death. Does this sound familiar? It's the Romans wrote. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible also reads. Now, at this point, look, at this point they're like, Don't even look at him. Just keep reading. Everybody say, keep reading. The Bible also reads, and your your flesh will be crawling out of your... You just want to run because most people are afraid of rejection. Okay, most people have a rejection problem. I'm going to tell you, when they reject the Lord, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Lord. So just get, get over it. Fight through your feelings of feeling rejected and wanting to be liked and loved by everybody. Okay? There's really, statistically, only three people that like you anyway, so don't worry about it. All right. The Bible also reads, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You are a whosoever, right? And, and, and they usually go, yeah. Of course you are. Even if they don't say anything, say, of course you are. And just keep reading. Everybody say, keep reading. I'm going to say a quick prayer for you. And then read the prayer. All right? So the guy, let's say his name is Bovar. It's a common name. Lord... Bless Bovar and his family with long and healthy lives. Jesus, make yourself real to him and do a quick work in his heart. If Bovar has not received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, I pray he'll do it now. Look straight at them and say, 
Bovar, would you like to receive the gift that God has given you? Would you like to receive eternal life? And wait. And I will tell you to my shock and amazement, most people say yes. I can't believe it. I don't know. I don't know what the unusual thing about it. I've done evangelism explosion. I've done everything, man. I've done all kinds of evangelism tools and techniques and relate, you know, woman at the well and get in their boat. And I've done all kinds of stuff. It's all good. Use it all. But I will tell you, this script, I don't know what the deal is, but it works like gangbusters. I tried to be all smart and use my Pastor Daniel techniques. It did not work as good as this. And they usually say yes. And then what you do is you just read through it with them. Would you like to receive the the gift that God has for you today? Say this after me with your heart and your lips right out loud. Say, dear Lord Jesus. Let's just all say it. Ready? Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me and cleanse me. Set me free. Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I believe that you are risen from the dead and that you are coming back again for me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me a passion for the lost, a hunger for the things of God, and a holy boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am saved. I am born again. I am forgiven. I am on my way to heaven because I have Jesus in my heart. And then it goes on to say, and you just say this right, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I tell you today that all of your sins are forgiven. Always remember to run to God, not from God, because he loves you and has a great plan for your life. That's it. There is nothing added that's it. It's the simple truth of the gospel. I think some people just got saved in here. I think some people sincerely just prayed that. And if you did, you need to tell somebody about it. And then it says, you know, in the bottom, and you invite them to church. Take them out for coffee. Buy them lunch. Bless them. So this is one way. I challenge you between now and next Sunday, share your faith with some people. You might be surprised. People that are mean and ugly looking, those are the ones that are closest to Jesus, I found. They're closest to getting their hearts to the Lord. What if they don't, what if they don't want me? What if, they, what if they reject me? I've knocked on doors and, and had people just haul off and spit in my face with the biggest, you know what I'm talking about? I mean a big spit. Okay? Right here in my eye and on my cheek. Now, I've wanted to minister to him in not a way that's so scriptural. I was so mad. And really what my mad, what the anger was, which is a cover for my hurt because I got so wounded and rejected and defiled, screaming curses at me while I have this spit running off my face. And all I could say is, God bless you, man. God bless you, dude. I mean, I just wanted to say something else. I walked off his property. I walked on to the next house. I skipped the next house because I can't even get a hold of myself. I got my little... My little pamphlets, I'm going door to door. I'm wiping the spit going, I rebuke, you know, hepatitis C in Jesus' name. Right? 
you know, I'm wiping the thing from my face, and I just said, Lord, man, that was a bummer. And I began to weep, and I realized that actually the crying wasn't so much about him being rejecting the Lord. That would be good tears. It was about the fact that he didn't like me. And I felt rejected, and I felt wounded, and it tapped into a place where that I'd had in my life, all my life, up to that point. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Son, rejoice. What? I had read the word and had the word in me enough to, to know that the word says rejoice when you're persecuted for righteousness sake for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And I, and that scripture came rejoice because you've been persecuted for me. And I just thought, I don't feel like rejoicing. And it was just loud rejoice. And so I went like this. I went, praise the Lord. <laughs> when I said praise the Lord, which was really about one tenth of my heart, the other 90% was like, all right, I'll do it. So I said, praise the Lord. And when I said, praise the Lord, I felt this, ooh. I felt this kind of, ah. I felt this, ooh. Just kind of like a, you know when you eat a peppermint patty and the wind blows? I felt a little bit of that. And I thought, I felt good. And then I said, with my heart, I said, God, thank you that you've allowed me to suffer for your namesake. And when I said that, man, the fire of heaven came over me, washed all that stuff off of me, and I just went, woohoo! Yes! Yeah! And then I really did feel like I ate the whole peppermint patty. It was, whoosh. I mean, I just felt so blessed. Moved on to the next person. The next person I began to lead people one after another, after another, after another. I'm going to tell you there's no greater way to set yourself on fire for God than the leading people to Jesus. There really isn't. I mean, you can pray and be in a worship service. When you start to do the work of, of the kingdom in that way, the kingdom of God will be released through you through evangelism. Try it. Challenge you. And when you have a breakthrough, when you've led somebody to Christ, and don't stop until you do. You be sure to tell me, tell my wife, testify. It'll be such a rush for you. I'm almost done. You guys getting anything this morning? I want to show you this video. Are we all ready with that? This is a video that, this is the Reinhard Bonnke video, right? All right, if you'd knock all the lights out, please. These. All right. Okay. Can you read that? After nine years' absence in Nigeria, the Lord reopened the door for CFAN Gospel Crusades at the end of 1999. Crank it up, please. An astounding surge of salvation followed. What you're about to see is glorious and historic. One million two hundred seventy six thousand eight hundred forty decisions for Christ.
1,403,640,000 decisions from Jesus. One million nine hundred thirty-six thousand eight eighty-one decisions for Christ. Tonight you may come here as weak as can be. You will go home like a conqueror with Jesus inside of you.
on, just give a hand clap to God, won't you? Come on, clap to God. It's worth standing up for, too. Come on. Micah, run to the piano, please. Come on, one more time. Give me everything you got for the Lord, what He's doing in the earth. We live in the greatest moment in history. It's not church as usual. It's not about Baptists and Pentecostals. It's about the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, I prophesy to you, there's people all around you who will give their hearts to Jesus if you'll just allow boldness to come on you. Don't sit by and hope that somebody tells them. Won't you let your heart break for the harvest? Won't you let your heart break for Alaska? They really do want Jesus. The harvest really is white. And you are the answer. And people will go to a devil's hell and live a life of bondage if we don't share the good news of Jesus. I plead with you. I plead with you to become a soul winner. I plead with you in this moment in history not to just let the days and the weeks and the months and the years go by and hope that somebody would would come and share the good news of Jesus with your family. Why don't you do it? Ask God in this moment to give you a fresh anointing to share your faith. Come on, ask Him right now. We're going to become a soul-winning church. We're going to become a soul-winning church, ambassadors for Christ. And we're going to disciple people. That's it, people. That's it. Oh, I know we don't have the great light show or any smoke. And I know we could use some new carpet. I know we need some renovation in our building, but it's not about a building. It's about souls. And we'll get those things fixed by the grace of God. Amen? We want to be excellent. want to be an excellent in all that we do. But the main thing for you and I is to release the power of the kingdom of God. One of the ways you do that is through evangelism. I charge you. You have a responsibility. No longer I that live, but Christ live in me. You have a responsibility before heaven. That's why you're still here, people. You're not here to pay, you know, just get another four-wheeler. You're not here just to look for the big King Salmon this year. Or All of those things can be enjoyed. Absolutely. I'll be enjoying them with you. But the main thing is to reach the lost at any cost. And if you get rejected, at least you didn't have to hang on a cross. My children, I have two kids from a previous marriage. I'll close in this. Before I got saved, I was married, two kids, got divorced. I still don't get to see them. I was in a court battle. I got to go and visit them once. And they pulled up in their brand new Mercedes. There's nothing wrong with their Mercedes, but I mean, they're just living the lavish life of luxury. There's nothing wrong with that either, as long as it's not worship. They wouldn't get out of the car to see their father. I'm their dad. And they looked at me. My eldest moved her glasses down on the edge of her nose, as I remember it. And they said, we don't want you. You're not our dad. We don't need you. 
that's it. And I said something like, well, I love you. And they laughed at me. They laughed at me. And I said, it'll, it'll all turn around in time. And they laughed some more. I backed out, got out of the car, closed the door, and they drove off. And my heart began to break. I said, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, that's rejection. <laughs> Maximum rejection. I said, God, I, that, that hurts. And before my heart could fully break, the Lord spoke, Son. said, clearly. Might have even been audible. It was so clear to me. said, Son, how many times have you rejected me? I just said, oh, God, that's not even fair. Huh? Jehovah Sneaky. And then he said this. Love them with the love that I have loved you. And it will all turn. For love never fails. And I just sat there and I wept. (laughs) I said, I'll do it. Go love our community, will you? Will you go love our community? Go love people. Go love them. Share the goodness of Jesus. You'd be seated just for a moment. There's people that are counting on the next thing that we're about to do. We support a bunch of missionaries. I know I'm, well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not long yet. Almost. Ushers, would you help me? We want to take up our missions offering. This will support missionaries all over the world. We do this once a month. Did you guys get something from the Lord? I have a missions video, but I think we'll show it tonight. That last one was pretty missions, wasn't it? Spend time with Reinhard Bunke. He's a real deal. He's as humble as a shoe. Broken man. I'll talk more about this, but you know what amazed me? These ministries that God is using on this huge level. And that's just the platform that God has given. Some of you don't even realize that you're being used on a huge level. We don't know the the, the degree of impact we're having. We don't know. Come on, we had that primrose this morning. I heard it was packed. It was packed out at primrose at 9 o'clock in the morning over at the... the, um, at the Primrose Nursing Home, the assisted living place. They're coming. Who knows the impact that we're having? Wow. What a privilege. <laughs> what a privilege. What a privilege that he would leave us here to share the good news. That's why we're still here. Got destiny. I was saying something, but I forgot what I said. Oh, yeah. Usher, would you come, please? What amazed me about these ministries, Reinhard Bunke is now 70-something years old. He's turning his ministry over to a kid. He's not really a kid. I mean, he's a man, but he's 27 now. 27 years old, ladies and gentlemen. He's led 10 million people to Christ now. 27. Rick Warren's church is run by people that are 30 and under. 
One of the largest churches in America. They had 60,000 people at their Easter service at Anaheim Stadium. 30 and under. There's a baton that's being passed. I'm just glad I got a jersey. Anybody glad you're still in the game? Thanks, God. Just so thankful. All right, let's pray for our missionaries. Father, we thank you for all of our missionaries that we support. And we ask, Lord, that you'd multiply this offering like loaves and fishes and that you would help them as they reach the lost, as they share the gospel, as they pray, as they fast, as they give themselves, as they pick up their cross and they follow you, that you would cause nations would earth but a drop in the bucket to you. We ask you for nations. Come on, some of you have nations on your heart. Ask him for nations right there. Ask him for the ask him for the nations. Jesus, we ask you for Japan. We ask you for China. We ask you, oh God, for America. Touch the United States of America. Multiply. Multiply this missions offering in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, go right ahead. Don't miss tonight. For the sake of time, we're going to take communion tonight. We usually take communion on the first Sunday. and We'll take communion tonight. If you want to receive communion, you come back. Service will be at 6 o'clock. I hope you got inspired. Did you? All right. Let's do it. Come on, somebody say, let's do it. Stand up on your feet, won't you? Reach across the aisle. Take someone by the hand. Develop relationships in here, too. Come on, go to lunch with somebody today. Get to know each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for for your word, a lamp unto our feet and a light upon our path, and that which we saw in Acts 17. Lord, we want to be like that. We want to be disturbed by what's happening and then take action. In the marketplace, in the synagogue, in church, in the marketplace, daily. And we want to see people, God, come to you as we step out in holy boldness. Lord, using the script, using the Romans road. Lord, break us free from apathy. Break us free. Break your church free from lethargy. Release your power. Release your fire. And a God-given responsibility. An accountability that we will stand before you on that last day. The great and terrible day of the Lord. We will stand before you. And we will hear well done. Lord, enable us. Let us put aside the things of time and tradition and the flesh and selfishness and pride. Let us be willing to be rejected, Lord, so that people can accept you. Where would we be without you? So, God, I pray that you release the gift of the evangelist upon this congregation. Release the gift of the evangelist, Lord, upon your people, upon those who are listening. Stir us up, God. They would see many, many hundreds and thousands of people saved. Launched forth into destiny. People discipled. People discipled. People discipled. Made more like you. We thank you and praise you for it. Bless your people now. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards them. Be gracious to them. Keep them. And give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll hope to see you tonight.